This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activities. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> but and I'm sure you have, uh, we're kind of divided these days. Um, you, you see it on the down to the, the, the news sources that we watch. We have all kinds of different ways of defining and categorizing one another and segmenting ourselves out into various populations. But as I read scripture, I'm challenged because I see things like in the book of Romans where Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. But I don't, and and I don't see a whole lot of other people doing it either. I see us getting um, very animated about the things we believe in, and there is a place for that. I see us um, drawing lines in the sand, and to be clear, there are some lines that need to be drawn. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What does that look like? It certainly doesn't mean capitulating on things that matter. It certainly doesn't mean... Um, giving the pinch of incense to Caesar, right? There are lines that must be drawn. But it also doesn't look like drawing so many lines that we're in the square all by ourselves. So what does it look like to live at peace with all so far as it depends on you? Well, I've been kind of wrestling with this probably since 2015, really towards the beginning of, of this show, um, asking the question, whose voices am I listening to? If I only listen to voices that say the things that I want to hear, then I'm running dangerously close to the warning that Paul said to Timothy um, that there will come a time when men won't endure sound doctrine, but they'll gather around themselves teachers who tell them what their itching ears long to hear. Is that what I'm doing? Do I surround myself only with the voices that tell me that I'm good and right and those voices that agree with the things I already believe? G.K. Chesterton said, and we've brought this quote up a couple of times here on the show, that a peculiar and solitary triumph of the Catholic faith is not in merely being right when we are right, as in being cheerful or hopeful or humane. It is having been right when we were wrong, and in the fact coming back upon us afterwards like a boomerang. One word, he says, that tells us what we do not know outweighs a thousand words that tell us what we do know. And the thing is all the more striking if not only did we not know it, but could not believe it. It may seem a paradox to say that the truth teaches us more by the words we reject than by the words we receive. And so I've, I've taken that to heart. Um, that quote has been with me for a while as I have wrestled with what it means to convert and be Catholic and, and what that change wrought in my life. But as I've looked at that quote, and as I've tried to appropriate it, I, it makes me ask the question, what are the things I reject? And not only what, what are the things I reject, but what are the things I reject quickly and out of hand and quickly shove aside or sweep under the rug so that I don't have to look at it too long? Those, 
those truths that not only do I reject, but those that make me uncomfortable. What does that mean? And so when I feel that feeling, when I get that kind of discomfort from hearing something, I stop and I have taken to doing this recently. I listen a little bit harder and I begin to examine it and weigh, why is it that I reject this? Because if it is something that is truly wrong, if it is something that absolutely is a line in the sand that needs to be drawn, then it can withstand the scrutiny. If it's something that's really wrong, it can stand me taking the extra time to ask the question and hold on to it and weigh it. As Aristotle said, it's the mark of an educated mind to entertain an idea without accepting it. So I can entertain the idea that maybe this thing that I am so reacting to negatively, maybe it is true. What if? And so this question comes up, what voices am I listening to? I've taken to start listening to voices that I disagree with and weighing those words. Many times I come out with the same conclusion that what I have believed to be true is still true. I still hold to that. But there have been some things that I've listened to that I've had to ask myself, have I been blind to this the whole time? Have I shut out voices of experience that could have helped me along in my spiritual journey just because they made me uncomfortable? And the truth is, yes, in many times, in many cases, I shut out those voices that didn't match with the way that I had been raised. I shut out those voices whose experiences were different than my own, and I was poorer for it. We are a church as Catholics that span the globe, and the experiences of people from the different cultures and different environments and different countries, they enrich my understanding and expression of faith. So one of the things I've been doing on social media is I have been seeking out people who look different than me, whose political opinions are different than mine, whose uh, the theological understanding is different than mine, because I want to hear all the voices. I want to be able to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me in ways that I might not otherwise hear. And what could be a cacophony with all of those different voices, ends up really being more of a symphony. Uh, so that's what we attempt to do here on the show, is to have these conversations with voices that can enrich our lives. Now, today's conversation it comes from this desire to seek out voices and experiences that are different than my own. My friend Letitia Ochoa Adams has recently put together a website called catholicspeakersofcolor.com. And this is a resource that has been a long time coming. There's lots of speakers bureaus out there that have websites that, uh, that I've used both in my capacity as a radio host and in my capacity uh, working with, with parishes and with dioceses bringing in speakers. Um, but something that you'll notice when you look at a lot of the, uh, the conferences that are out there, when you look at a lot of the speaker pages that are out there, is that there's a whole bunch of people who, who look and sound the same, whose experiences are largely from white middle-class America. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do want a richer tapestry. I want voices that are a little bit different than my own. And so I'm just thrilled 
uh, to find this website. There are some fantastic speakers that I had uh, not heard of, a few that I had, uh, but our guest today comes to us from this website. We've talked about the topic before. We've, we've talked about confession. Uh, we've had conversations on the show before about examinations of conscience. We've talked about this spiritual practice of, um, of penance and, and sitting with our own thoughts and examining who we are during the season of Lent. Uh, and we could have them again, and we could do them multiple times over. But I wanted a different voice. I wanted someone to come in whose experiences did not match my own, because I think it's in these conversations that we find so much room uh, for mutual enrichment. Here is where we grow, um, not only as individuals, but as a communion, as a community of saints. Now, even I'm even as I'm saying that I want to have different perspectives and and different um, different history and background. This this specific experience is one that I think is common to all of us. So let's start here with this scenario. You you know the experience. You're you're standing in the line for confession racking your brain, trying to do this last minute examination of conscience and figure out what is it that I'm going to tell father when I get, get in there. And, and oftentimes uh, it's really easy to do that really quick examination, looking at the things that we know about, right? We, okay, yeah, I did that again. I've been struggling with that for a while and I, and I bring it back and it almost becomes as if um, confession is, is a, a maintenance thing that we do that, oh yeah, I did that thing, I need to get that back in alignment, rather than really this bestowal of grace that is drawing us into a deeper relationship with God. Now, sin's going to be a struggle for us always. There's always going to be those familiar sins that we have a little bit more trouble with. But if that's the only thing that we find ourselves confessing, it doesn't mean necessarily that there's no other sin. It means that we're not allowing ourselves to look a little bit more deeply, and we're doing that last-minute examination of conscience. And it's kind of hard to find good examinations of conscience, but I remember uh, this one time that as I was getting ready to go to confession, I happened to pull up the USCCB website to see what they had available, and they had this examination of conscience for couples and for parents. I'm like, well, that's different. You know, I'm used to doing the, the Ten Commandments thing. And man, did I get convicted reading through that examination of conscience that I was not familiar with because it began asking me about my obligations to my wife and to my children. And all of a sudden, when I'm looking at, at the ideal, my sins that I was unaware of came into sharper focus. We know the sins that we have that are habits, but what about those hidden faults, as the, the Psalms put it? What about those hidden faults that we don't know to confess because we don't know they exist. That's the conversation today, and we're talking with Kariana Fry, uh, who is the author of a, a, a book called Servium Non-Servium, A Daily Examination of Conscience. She also has a daily examination of conscience for children called The Virtuous Path. You can get both of those on uh, uh, her website, carianafry.com. We'll put a link to that on our social media. Kariana, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so let's talk about the the role and the value of 
an examination of conscience and a daily examination of conscience. And I'm assuming I've not had the chance to see it yet, but a daily examination of conscience that changes from day to day. Yes. So the examination of conscience came out as a need that I found that I had, because I just like you were talking about, I found myself too often in line for confession um, and just racking my brain for what's on the top of my head. And ideally, our examination of the conscience should really dive deeper into our, our not just beyond our daily habits, but really diving deep into where are we really serving God and where are we not serving God? And that's actually where the title comes from. Um, it's, it's reminiscent of, um, of the poem Paradise Lost, in which you have uh, Lucifer saying, saying, non serviam, I will not serve. And then, you know, the whole rigmarole happens. And it's contrasted with, say, Michael saying, serviam, I will serve. Mm-hmm. And I think in my mind, every day we are each tasked with this same question. How will I serve God and how will I not serve God? And I love the the structure of the USCCB examinations of conscience or even going off of the Ten Commandments. You know, how did I love God? How did I or did, did I did I love God? Did I attend mass on Sundays? Those are all very you know great uh, starting points. But what if we get a little bit deeper into, you know, how am I am I serving my community? You know, have I. Did I drive past that that person on uh, on the the off ramp of the freeway and not even make eye contact? You know, have have I erased someone's humanity because they make me feel uncomfortable? Um, so these are all these are really deeper questions that you can really only get to by spending some time in in prayer. And oftentimes, a lot of us don't have a a lot of time to devote to prayer. But I think by breaking it down to just two questions. How did I serve God today and how did I not serve God today? You'll start to see these areas where you have really, you know, met with Jesus or did you leave him, you know, behind? And I think that's one where it's that's where we really need to start focusing our efforts because as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We are called to follow Christ. He calls each one of us by name no different than he did with Saints Andrew and and Saints Peter and Saints John. He calls each of us by name at different times, and we have to make that choice. Will I will I follow you, Lord, or will I go back to where I've been? Well, and will I be attuned enough to the voice of God that I'll hear him ask me not just the, will you follow me writ large, but will you follow me in this instance, in this mm-hmm. moment where, let, let's use the example you gave, you, you drive up and you see someone on the exit ramp. Um uh, we have this uh, this justification that we go through if it's our habit to to say I give in other ways that I want to I want to mm-hmm. support that uh, I want to support Catholic charities and the work they do and I want to take things through this this structure uh, way of handling these issues um, that may be well and good and that but it could be that God's asking you to do something different in that moment and regardless of what He's asking you to do in that moment He is asking you as you mentioned to acknowledge the humanity of the person that's there. And I'm reminded exactly. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Matthew 25 as you have Jesus telling the story of the last judgment where uh, God the Father separates the sheep from the goats. And there's two things that stand out to me here. One uh, is that all of the things have to do with seeing Christ in the people around us. Every single one of those things uh, has to do with how we serve Christ in our neighbor. The second thing is that um, in this 
in, in the people who did not serve their neighbor, they didn't realize that they were sinning against God in that moment. Lord, when did we not, when did we see you and not feed you? When did we see you naked and not clothe you? And, and so there is this sense that they had a desire to serve. They just didn't examine their consciences and their responsibilities and roles to their neighbor in light of their relationship with God. Right. I think we, we have a lot of, sometimes we have a lot of preconceived notions of what it means to serve our neighbor. And it's, it's oftentimes it can be that the, the comfortable stuff. Well, I took my, my sick neighbor a casserole or I, you know, I offered to babysit their kids. So it, those are really just comfortable places to be in. But I think our true growth happens when we get uncomfortable and we have to force ourselves into discomfort. And that is really hard because we are made for comfort. You know, we like, we like to be comfortable. <laughs> um, and, but we don't grow unless we push ourselves into that discomfort. I remember there was one time I was with our uh, family. We were leaving the, the beach. I, I live in California. We were leaving the, the, the beach. And there was a gentleman at the, at the gas station. And he was, you know, clearly um, itinerant. He was homeless. And I felt this nagging, say, of, you know, in my spirit saying, go talk to him and, and offer to buy him a sandwich. And I'm like, no, God, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I, and I'm, I'm at the gas pump arguing with God, by the way. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'm like, fine, fine, I'll do this. And so I told the kids, I, I, we, we pulled into a parking lot, a parking spot. And I said, all right, hang on, I'll be right back. And so I go up to this guy and say, when's the last time you ate? And he said, a couple days ago, I'm like, come on, let's go get a sandwich. And the whole time I am in incredibly uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because this is not, this is outside of my comfort zone. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm thinking, well, should I be having a conversation? I'm just going to stand here. It's going to be really awkward. And yet there was still that nudging of, I need, I'm being called to service right now. And service does not always look like what I think it should look like. Service is what we are being called to do. And like you said, we have to be really in tune with our con- with our with our conscience and our consciousness because we know that our consciousness is a direct result of God's God's indwelling within each and every one of us. Well and it's important that we actually actively listen to our conscience and to the voice of the Holy Spirit because there is no universal thing do this every single time. Uh, go and and do this one thing in your interactions every single time. It could be because God knows the needs of those people that we interact with, whether that be the, the person who is living on the streets or whether that be the person that we interact with at the, uh, at the grocery store checkout or in any of our daily activities. Um, he knows the needs of that person and the Holy Spirit gives us gifts as the body has need. And so it can't just be this thing of, oh, well, God told me this one thing this one time, so I'm just going to burst ahead and always do this thing. There is this sense, even in that level of discomfort, where we still have to be actively listening to, is this something that the Holy Spirit is drawing me to do at this moment? And it's the the question, you say discomfort. I also think that following God in those individual moments has to cost us something whether that be comfort or, or uh, humility or something else. Right. And I think it's one, we also, it's, it's important to distinguish between our own personal egos Mm -hmm. um, because our ego has a very, very loud voice and that ego can also drown out the voice of God because, you know, if we, we do this great thing for somebody, now we have, 
you know, chalk up our own personal ego points. And I, and I think it's true. I, I, I really agree, agree with your thoughts of it costs you something, you know, there is no, there is no exchange without some kind of give or take. And it may be physical. It may be, it may be money. It may be food. It may be, um, some, uh, a, an act of service, but it also may be something of yourself. You may be giving up your pride. You may be giving up your, your, um, your humility. As you said, you may be giving up this sense of security that you had because now you realize that what you have believed or what you've thought your entire life may not be what the truth is, or maybe not, it may not be true for other people. And it's that idea of once you find out uh, someone else's perspective into something, it can, you can't turn back. You can't go back and say, well, I wish I never found out about, you know, your circumstance because now my eyes have been opened. My eyes are now open to a new level of suffering or a new type of suffering. And you can't go back from that then. And, you know, we can't as individuals do everything, but we can do the thing that we're called to in this moment. Uh, here, here's a, a little example that, um, was, was an unexpected thing as we're kind of thinking about what am I going to do for Lent this year? What, you know, it's prayer, fasting and almsgiving. What am I going to do? That's going to be different than my yearly give up Dr. Pepper or whatever else that that's going to somehow make me a better person, even though I pick it up like immediately afterwards. Right. <laughs> and so I'm sitting here thinking and, this thought just dropped into my head that's just absolutely insane and, and petty and small, and surely that's not God, right? And, and it's this. Um, we talk about how we participate in systems that are around us and, and whether or not we are even aware of the systems that we participate in that might cause the suffering of others. Um, the one that popped out to me is we buy a whole bunch of stuff on Amazon prime, right? Cause it's so fast and it's so easy and it's so cheap. And it's here at the, I mean, we're, we're what five miles from Canada and it still gets here in two days. Uh, and so that's been kind of our thing specifically during the pandemic, because it's hard to get out when you've got a big family and this is just an easy way to go about it. And this thought just drops into my head that for Lent, we're not going to buy anything from Amazon. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost more money than otherwise would because it costs more to get in the car, to go somewhere or to find another place online to buy it. And yet, as a practice of solidarity with those businesses that are right around us, uh, in, a, in a practice of trying to understand how our behaviors, even our shopping behaviors, can have direct impacts on our community and on the people to whom we have some responsibility toward, um, that's, that's a practice we're going to do this, Lent. I ran it by my wife. I said, I know this sounds crazy, but what do you think? Um, she sat with it for a second and said, you know, I, I think that that's the right thing for us to do this year. And so that's something we're taking on as part of our Lenten observance. As weird as it feels, as much as it doesn't cost much, it still costs something to say, we're going to be aware of our responsibility to one another, and we're going to promote the common good, even if it costs us. Yeah, I think uh, it, it can be hard. And it's, I think that's, that's a really admirable one because I know I look at how much we uh, we order from Amazon all the time. Um, but it's it's one where it's it is going to be a, a very you know, individualized thing because again yeah. we are not all called. I, I think it was um, 
Oh, it was Tolstoy. Uh, I was reading. Uh, so there's a, a great quote from from Tolstoy, and it says, "You know, everyone wants to change the world, but no one thinks about changing themselves first. Yeah. And that that can be that can seem very uh, counterintuitive to the Christian life because we are very used to being outwardly focused right. and you know serving our neighbors and reaching out. But if you if if your own little personal you know soul garden has not been tended well, you are not going to really be able to cross pollinate other gardens. I guess this is a really this is a really twisted metaphor right now. Um, but it's but it's very true. You know, you you have to really be in uh, in a spot or know where you are in your spot before you can really and before you can really kind of go out there and and reach out to others. And you know, there's going to be clumsy mistakes made along the way. Um, but I think it's one where that's, that's okay. I think we also have to be really gracious with ourselves and know that that's going to be okay. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's hard to really open up and, and see the system. I think we were, if you're, if you are of a certain age, you grew up with just, this is the way that things are. And I, I think about, I think the one thing that always pops into my head is this idea of, you know, the great American melting pot. Yeah. Um, this was, I think, a really big thing, you know, back in the 70s and 80s. And um, this idea that, you know, America is is a melting pot of cultures. You just kind of all jump in and we're all the same. But if you really kind of dive into this idea, it's not so much that we all jump in and we all this, this mishmash of cultures. It's more like you all jump right in and you ideally become more like the dominant culture and therefore your own country's cultures should really either be go to the wayside or not acknowledged at all. And that can really cause, uh, because we are such a great uh, culture of, of just made up of different cultures, it can cause a conflict within each and every one of us that, well, how do I honor this part of my heritage and this part of my heritage? Is there a way to make them work together? And I think, well, I'm supposed to be American, um, but at the same time, it's just it's not as simple as saying, you know, I'm I'm from France or I'm from Germany. We have, you know, America's got such a, a beautiful, beautifully complex history that should be celebrated in all of its all of its means. And at the same time, that means celebrating all parts of it and not just the parts that we like. Oh, this could be an hour long conversation just here because this is such a huge question. The question of of, of who we are as a people of how we relate to one another and to what we owe to one another. Uh, but we have to take a break right here because we are um, just right up against it. I do want to come back to this question um, in the second segment because there's something I want to tie in here. Uh, this is part of what confession is about, is to recognize that there's the sacrament of healing that heals the wounds of sin between us and God, between us within ourselves, and between us and our community. And I think often that corporate aspect gets missed. We're going to do our best to circle back around to this when we come back. We're talking today with Kariana Fry. She is the author of the book Servium Non-Servium, A Daily Examination of Conscience. She's also got one for kids, The Virtuous Path, which we're going to talk about when we come back. Uh, you can find links to all of her stuff at karianafry.com. We've also got a link to it over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. There is so much more to come right after this. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and uh, here we are in the season of Lent, trying to make the most of it, right? We, we talk about this every year, that Advent is the time where we recognize that all is not right with the world, and Christmas is the answer to that. Christmas is the, uh, the, the looking into the eschaton and realizing that God has come to be with us, to dwell with us, and that all will be made right with the cosmos. And that Lent is that time that we look around and say, ooh, all is not right with me. And Easter is the answer to that, that hope of redemption, that hope of being made into the image and likeness more fully of God, being made sharers in the divine nature. And here we come through the graces of the sacraments, made partakers in the resurrection, and able to live lives of holiness, lives of sanctity, lives that draw us into the communion of saints and make us saints. And Lent is the opportunity for us to do a little bit of self-examination, a little bit of realization of the places where we're not quite meeting that standard and asking and approaching those sacraments once again for the grace to live them more fully. We're talking today with Carriana Fry, and she's the author of a a book called Servium Non-Servium, A Daily Examination of Conscience. It's available on Amazon. I'm going to put a link to it on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And I'm really intrigued by this idea. Uh, This is uh, absolutely something you ought to do. There's also a a version for children called The Virtuous Path uh, that gives them daily examination of conscience, prayer and creative expression prompts, coloring spaces, uh, perfect for ages 6 to 14. You know I've got several in that age range. Um, I want to talk a little bit, before we get back to where we ended our last uh, segment, I want to talk a little bit about giving our children the tools that they need uh, to approach the sacrament of confession uh, and not have it turn into almost an OCD scorekeeping of everything that I did wrong. Um, And to really foster in them a a deep understanding of the graces that come through it and the, the friendship that God offers to them in this sacrament of healing. Yeah. So this, uh, I, so I did not actually grow up Catholic. I I converted to Catholicism when I was in college um, and it's still the best, the best decision that I ever made. I grew up Baptist, so I did grow up as a Christian, but, you know, it is really interesting going from a non-liturgically based faith to a very liturgically based faith. And that's really one thing that really drew me in was not only the liturgy, but also the sacraments. And I know, I remember when I first received the Sacrament of Reconciliation, how freeing and how light and how, how wonderful it is. I mean, there really is an amazing medicine. And, and when you think about how that medicine is is Christ's precious blood, it kind of goes on to this other this other level of of how great the sacrament is and my husband and i we have four children as we and as we were getting our as our oldest was getting ready for her first reconciliation first eucharist you can definitely tell that there was a little bit of a fear there Mm -hmm. and i think it's very natural because you know when you enter in the sacrament of reconciliation you are bringing to light where you have not been the best version of yourself, you know, to borrow from, from Matthew Kelly, um, you, you are bringing to light and you are admitting the faults that you would rather 
not say. And then, and yes, we can definitely take our, our, we can talk to God anytime about our sins, but there is something very freeing um, and very, and there's a bit of, there's a lot of closure to, to go to a priest and say, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. This is what I've done. And then to hear those wonderful words of absolution at the end, that your sins have been forgiven. Um, and I wanted my kids to have that, that not only that, that same love of the sacrament or, or, or comfort level of the sacrament, but also to use the sacrament as a means to, you know, to be, to be better and to make better choices. And so uh, the, the kids examination of conscience was based off of it is based off of the four cardinal virtues. And so we look at each of those four cardinal virtues um, it, for for a week. Mm-hmm. And so it's a little bit different from from my first examination of conscience, but it's, it's one where for a week the, the kids are focusing on fortitude. So how did I how did I express fortitude this week? Mm-hmm. Did I have any missed opportunities to to show this strength? And it dives into different ways of, of what does fortitude really mean? Um, and then they can look into temperance and they look into prudence. Um, and so it's a way to, to not only grow in virtue, which I think as a parent, I want my kids to grow in virtue. Um, and so not only do they grow in virtue, but they also become, they learn that the sacrament of reconciliation is not a laundry list of how you have failed and instead, it's a it's a it's a meeting of Jesus in the sacrament to say, you know what, I I'm sorry, and I want to be better. And how how much grace comes from that, and 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 how much you know is looking at as far as developed you know adults go, how much further, how much better could we all be if we all had that humility to say, you know what, I messed up. May I, may I I I ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to do better next time, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that we as as uh, as a population as humans can go a long way by having that that humility to know that we a that we're all going to mess up and b that no matter how big of our no matter how big our sins are, no matter how many times we sin, no matter how times we mess it up, God is always going to meet us in that in that second in that sacrament and forgive us. I'm going to take this spot right here and we're going to go back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, having that humility to recognize when we did something wrong and to go forward and to ask for those graces. Um, And looking then at this need for us to recognize our neighbor as the Samaritan, as as the outcast, as the person who's over there, that's the neighbor that Jesus wants us to be in relationship with and says that we have obligation to, it's not just these people who I go to mass with, or the people who believe like I do or, or think like I do or live right by me, but the people who are made in the image and likeness of God and, and because of that have incomparable dignity. That's the person that I owe uh, everything to, the, the person who is uh, naked and hungry and thirsty and in prison and sick, right? What, whatever we do to the least of these, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. Uh, and so as I look back at even my own experience of being faced with these obligations and feeling uncomfortable and and they don't fit into my worldview. And so, I, you know, you kind of sweep them under the rug and say, well, no, really, my neighbor is this person who's right next to me. Um, or, or to say, as my children say to me all the time when I point out their sin against their siblings, but I didn't mean that. It didn't mean to hurt them. It was an accident. I'm like, OK, but it was still a real offense, even though it wasn't intentional. 
So that brings us back to this question of what makes something a sin? What makes something evil? There's the object, there's the intention, and there's the circumstance. So it could be that the object itself isn't evil. The thing that I did in and of itself wasn't evil. It could be that I didn't mean for it to hurt or to be a slight against this person. But if the circumstance was such that it was received as that by the other person, I have to acknowledge that. I have to say in humility, ooh, that didn't come out the way that I intended it to. And to recognize my responsibility to the person who is different than me, whether that be culturally, whether that be socioeconomically, whether that be uh, politically, uh, whether that be racially, and say, I have an obligation to you as my neighbor, and I, f- I came up short on that. I failed. And so I'm going to do what I can to restore that. And that's really very hard for us, regardless. It's one of those things that costs us something to have that kind of humility. Right. I think we, we know, we, we get kind of caught up in this idea of, well, a, a sin is a sin if I, if I know it's a sin, first of all, and then I intend to do it on purpose. But I, I think that if we really go back to the greatest commandments that, that Jesus gave us, he, you know, he, he took the old covenant and, you know, flipped it around to the new and then gave us just two great commandments, to love the Lord God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as our love our neighbor as ourselves. You know that's really what the that's the ten commandments distilled down to those two basic commandments as well. And even if you know if it's not our if, it may not be our intention to hurt somebody, but when the realization is made that you have hurt someone, I I think that you do that we do have an obligation to try to reconcile with that person because we if we truly see the image of God in every other human person then we are called to a reconciliation, especially if after the fact we realize that we have done something that is hurtful. Now, again, the intention may not have been to hurt that person, but if the result is still someone being hurt, we're called to reconcile that hurt and to learn from it and to not take it as a, as a personal, well, I, like I said, I, I didn't mean to do that. That is very true. You may, no one may have meant to do it, but yet the outcome is still the same. And so that doesn't change the outcome to say, well, I didn't mean to do it. So you're, you're taking this too hard or it was only a joke. Um, if someone has been slighted or hurt from you, I think that, you know, reconciliation is really the, it's the, it's the way to go. None of us mean to, to hurt God. And yet we still do it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I know that that's really hard to hear. Because I know each and every one of us that are are here together tonight, we we really try and we strive we strive to to remain on on that path on that on that virtuous path. But we're always going to fall short because of of our first parents, Adam and Eve. You know, we can blame laundry on them, and we can also blame the fact that we are always <laughs> going to fall short of the graces of God. And that's why Jesus came to be with us. And so we can't walk around saying that I ne- that I never sin. Right there, that statement itself is is a sin, <laughs> because we know we are always going to fall short of the grace of God. Um, and so, I, one of the biggest things I think is to develop that this idea of humility to be able to say, you know what, I was wrong, and I'm going to admit that and then how can i fix it how can i make this right that's it's i think it's it's when we think about reconciliation we 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 like the first part of the acknowledgement of something going wrong but then we forget that second part of 
what can I do to make things right? And now I want to push into some territory that may be a little bit more uncomfortable. And what can be more uncomfortable than talking about our sins? It's talking about the sins we don't like to talk about. Um, we, we have a really good understanding and grasp on sins that we commit. Um, we kind of understand even a little bit more those sins that we can, we, we omit. We don't do the right thing. We have that in our, in our, um, confession, right? I confess to almighty God that I've sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I've done and what I have failed to do. Those things that are on me. And uh, in our individualistic culture, we like to think of our sins strictly in those uh, in those places, the things that I do or the things that I don't do. But what about when the things that we do or don't do participate in something broader in culture, um, in these things that are systemic sins and these things that uh, that are in structural sins as Pope Benedict XVI talked about in his address to um, to the bishops at a parasita, right? What about when there is something uh, that we participate in, not knowingly or even willingly, but just because we go along with the flow and don't pay attention to the things that are that are really kind of baked into our culture? Yeah, that that's that's a really hard one. Structural sense. We, um, I think it would help us to really acknowledge and, and get comfortable with the idea that the, uh, the, the United States of America was, was based on ideals that are rooted in, in white supremacy. And I know it, it's hard to hear that, mm-hmm. but let's just look at things just as they are. Um, if we read the Constitution, if things were not rooted in, in particularly white male land owning supremacy, you know, we would not have clauses like the three-fifths clause. Um, it would not have taken women so long to get the right to vote. It would not have taken people of color so long to get the right to vote. And even longer, I mean, women of color really did not have the right to vote until close to the uh, the late 60s, early 70s, depending on your subgroup. So there are some women I know that her, their mothers were the first ones who were legally able to vote in our country despite being uh, born in and uh, born in uh, in America. But we don't like to acknowledge that. We don't like to think about the uh, that 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 white supremacy past of of America, and it's hard to even say past because we still do see these threads in our institutions that are currently in place. And that's when people start getting uncomfortable because we oftentimes look at things with this either or concept. So either I have to be either I love my country. Or I fight against systemic racism or systemic structures that are uh, that are oppressing people. As Christians, I think we're called to having this, having more of a both and mindset. I can both love my country and say, you know what, the way that we do X, Y, and Z, our criminal justice system, for example, is wrong. You know, I can say I love my country and I think that the death penalty is wrong. <laughs> You know, we can do these things. And I think that when when we start looking at at things with more of a binary lens, we not only close off half of the possibilities, but we're also not allowing um, other opinions or other thoughts or other or new information to even come into our minds. Because I think, frankly, sometimes we're, we're afraid to change. We're afraid to get uncomfortable and to find out that what we've believed in for so long and what we what we have championed for so long may not have been as as glossy as we thought it was. Well, and I think this comes back to that question of the the 
the object, the circumstance and the intention, right? We, we know the object, we understand our intention, but we don't always completely grasp the circumstances that surround it. So here's, here's an example for myself, part of speech, right? One of these idioms that comes out all the time, uh, the wrong side of the tracks. Well, that's just something that you say to denote something and everyone knows what it means, quote unquote, everyone knows, but then you break it down and it's why, what's the etymology of that? Where did that come from? And it comes from the, the redlining process of saying that people of color could only buy in certain places uh, that were um, not the, the more desirable locations. Therefore, that's the wrong side of the tracks, the wrong side of town that you would never think, I would never think. Uh, until very recently that that would have any kind of a racial component. It's just a thing you say. And yet if that, if the, the object and the intention are not wrong, but the circumstance under which it comes about causes offense or causes scandal to someone else, would I not out of, uh, out of charity, out of humility say, you know what? I can find a better way to say that. I can do something for the, it might cost me a couple of extra seconds in my conversation, but for the sake of my neighbor, I can do that. Exactly. And I, and I think if we really focus more on that, on loving our, loving our neighbor more and loving ourselves less, um, that we can just, we can do more and we can reach more together. And I think, I think a lot of our conflicts really come into not being able to die to what we want because we, we love what we want. You know, we're, we know what we want. We're very confident in what we want. And when we hear that, you know, whether that's the, the turn of phrase that we've been using all our entire lives, or it is the, you know, the, the, the school system, or it's our political party, or it's uh, the music we listen to, whatever it is. Um, once we have to, once we're called to let that go a little bit, to see another person's perspective or to learn more about it, it means dying to ourselves and admitting to ourselves that, you know what, we may have been wrong. And again, let's bring it full circle back to, to the sacrament of reconciliation. That's one of the best places to admit where you're wrong yeah. <laughs> and to allow uh, that growth to come out of you. I mean, I, I think about um, St. Paul and in, uh, in his in his in his epistle where he says, you know, we are neither Jew nor Greek, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. And I think we as we need to we need to do more to eliminate these structural barriers that we put up in between in between ourselves and focus on more of that idea that we are one in Christ Jesus and and move forward from there. Yeah. In the last couple of seconds we have, tell us just a little bit about this Lenten retreat that you're running on Zoom. Yes. Great. Uh, so this is, uh, this was again, me wrestling with God and saying, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. <laughs> um, but I really had this prompting my heart to, to lead a Lenten retreat. And so it's called uh, Makarios, which is a Greek word meaning, uh, meaning blessed. Um, and so what we're doing, we're diving into the Beatitudes, and then we're also looking at the Psalms, seeing which Psalms really uh, preface the, the the Sermon on the Mount, because we know uh, Jesus was a really was a was a great Jewish kid, and so therefore he would have known his Psalms. That would have been his 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 prayer book. Um, and so we can we I I want to just kind of go into this idea of how do the Psalms how do the Psalms not only influence uh, the teachings of Christ. But also the, the probably his greatest teaching for all of us that Sermon on the Mount. You know, I always tell my friends if you want Christianity one on one, one on one, 
go look at the book of Matthew and read the Sermon on the Mount, because that's basically what you need to do to uh, really walk this, really, really walk the walk as, as, as a Christian. And so uh, you can find out more information. We're meeting on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. And it is via Zoom. We'll meet for one hour. And then there is uh, a workbook that goes along with it that you get to work on at your own pace. We're going to die. It dies into Lectio Divina. We'll do a little bit of the divine office um, and have a conversation. And then you'll also receive a copy of uh, Servium Non Servium, the examination of conscience to kind of help you along with that part of your spiritual journey. And all this information can be found on my website. (laughs) That's Kariana Fry, K-A-R-I-A-N-N-A, F-R-E-Y. Dot com. We'll put a link to that over on our social media. Kariana, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, and I, it's a pleasure. If you missed any part of our show today or you want to go and share it with your friends on social media, all of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There's also about 15 minutes of extra conversation available to those who support the show through Patreon. There at OutsideTheWalls.com, the top right-hand corner of the page, you can find the link that says Support the Show Patreon. There you'll find that extra segment. Let's turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library by going to Verbum.com, try it free for 30 days, and then pick the library that fits your needs. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of Romans, where Paul says, Then let us no more pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself— but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. If your brother is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let what is good to you be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God does not mean food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make others fall by what he eats. It is right not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. That reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 14. And of course, here Paul's talking primarily about food and drink, but he goes on to say, or anything that causes my brother offense, anything that causes my brother to stumble. And so this is hard for us because we've come to to firmly believe in this freedom that we have in Christ. And so for us to limit that freedom for the sake of another feels somehow false, And yet Pope John Paul II says that this freedom exists for the sake of love, and love is to limit one's freedom for the sake of another, right? For us to say, I have all things available to me, but because I belong to you and you belong to me, I choose to limit my freedom for your good. And I encourage you to to lean into that, as difficult as it is, to lean into that for the sake of of charity and for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Our reading from church history today comes from the Liturgy of the Hours from next week. Uh, it's from a homily by St. Asterius of Amasea. You were made in the image of God. If then you wish to resemble him, follow his example. Since the very name you bear as Christians is a profession of love for men, imitate the love of Christ. Reflect for a moment on the wealth of his kindness. Before he came as a man to be among men, he sent John the Baptist to preach repentance and lead men to practice it. John himself was preceded by the prophets who were to teach the people to repent, to return to God, and to amend their lives. Then Christ came himself, and with his own lips cried out, Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. How did he receive those who listened to his call? He readily forgave them their sins. He freed them instantly from all that troubled them. The Word made them holy. The Spirit set his seal on them. The old Adam was buried in the waters of baptism. The new man was reborn to the vigor of grace. What was the result? Those who had been God's enemies became his friends. Those estranged from him became his sons. Those who did not know him came to worship and love him. Let us then be shepherds like the Lord. We must meditate on the gospel. And as we see in this mirror the example of zeal and loving kindness, we should become thoroughly schooled in these virtues. For there, obscurely, in the form of a parable, we see a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. When one of them was separated from the flock and lost its way, the shepherd did not remain with the sheep who kept together at pasture. No, he went off to look for the stray. He crossed many valleys and thickets. He climbed great and towering mountains. He spent much time and labor in wandering through solitary places until at last he found his sheep. When he found it, he did not chastise it. He did not use rough blows to drive it back, but gently placed it on his own shoulders and carried it back to the flock. He took greater joy in this one sheep lost and found than in all the others. Let us look more closely at the hidden meaning of this parable. The sheep is more than a sheep, the shepherd more than a shepherd. They are examples enshrining holy truths. They teach us that we should not look on men as lost or beyond hope. We should not abandon them when they are in danger or be slow to come to their help. When they turn away from the right path and wander, we must lead them back and rejoice at their return, welcoming them back into the company of those who lead good and holy lives. That reading comes from a homily by St. Asterius of Amasea. And that's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Eileen Herman and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, join their numbers, and get extra content from this week's conversation. Join the ongoing conversation at Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. Twitter the handles at OutsideTheWalls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.